This is a, a question that every family has to ask themselves regarding every expense in their life, in their lives. Um, they're going to have to ask this question about making weddings. They're going to have to ask this question about uh, schooling. They're going to have to ask this question um, about buying a house and a car. Um, th this is a priority question. And the things that, we are, that are important in our lives, we find ways to do. Things that are not important to our lives, we usually give up on. We have to decide what is the value of seminary. Every year, thousands of girls head to seminary, both abroad and to Eretz Yisrael, aka Israel, aka the Holy Land. And the costs associated with going to seminary is a large one, and one that girls and their families prepare for years, or not, depending on their situation and their outlook. This episode covers quite a bit. We sat down with Rabbi Zachariah Greenwald. He owns and runs Ma'or Beis Yaakov in Israel, and we also sat down with Mrs. Ahuva Heyman, a director of a large base Yaakov in Baltimore. We covered so much. There's so much we still didn't get to cover. It's probably our longest episode, but hopefully it leaves you with more answers than questions. And we hope you listen to it with a set of fresh airs. Enjoy. Being a Jew? Awesome. Managing personal finances? Not so awesome. Welcome to Kosher Money. Okay, welcome to an episode of Kosher Money. Very privileged to have Rabbi Greenwald, originally from Brooklyn and Muncie, spending uh, over four decades in Eretz Yisrael, and he owns and runs a seminary called Ma'ar Beis Yaakov, and uh, really privileged to have a great and thorough conversation. There's, I mean, so many questions we can cover. It's not like... Uh, you know, a retirement episode where, you know, there's eight core episodes, you know, eight core questions. This, I mean, we can probably spend uh, 10 episodes on the seminary topic. But before we get into it, Rabbi Greenwald, tell us in 60 seconds, how did seminary start? Where did, where did this all come from, this uh, post year or two in Eretz Yisrael? Um, initially, if you go back even 40 years, there were three schools. There was Vesyakov. B BJJ, Beis Yaakov which was the Beis Yaakov Seminary, there was Mechala, and there was Mahon Gold. I believe that, that those were the only three original seminaries. Much like the yeshivas, um, high school was not enough. There's a very, very serious world that is contrary to the values that we taught, that we teach contrary to the values that we're trying to raise our children in. And even though I think the schools do a, a job that they can do, kids have to be in school. And when kids have to be in school, there's a limitation to how much they get out of it. When kids decide to go for a year to the school that they want to go, and they add something in their lives, and it's not mandatory, it's just a choice, that makes... Uh, that gives an ad added value to that year. And I believe that the same response the yeshivas have had, where there was once two or three yeshivas, there was the Mir, there was a small program in, Kal in Kaltara, there was a small program in one or two other yeshivas. And today there are thousands, literally thousands of, of kids going to Eretz Yisrael. Ain't Torah, Torah, Eretz Yisrael. There is no Torah like the Torah of Eretz Yisrael. 
Avir Yisrael Machkin, the air in Eretz Yisrael, gives a special element to Torah and to learning and to inspiration. And there's a change. There's something that Torah in Eretz Yisrael adds that some, no, nothing else can do. So combined, a child making a decision, I want something more, with what Eretz Yisrael has to add, I think that's where, it, that's where it started. And then, of course, once things become accepted and become more accepted, then there already begins uh, social pressures and other things that also affect. And right. it becomes a snowball. So. So, so you would describe the year's benefits as not just an education, but the experience of being away from home and, and experiencing the holiness of Eretz Yisrael, that you put that all combined, that's, that the, the benefits of that are something that someone wouldn't necessarily gain from a U.S. or England-based seminary, which may have its benefits, but there's, there's, there's intangibles and, and you know the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael and all that brings something much more to the table for a girl and a boy going to seminary. There, there's no question that every year of Torah learning for any person is valuable, mm-hmm. especially in when we're going to face the world, the outside world afterwards. So no matter where a person is, whether it's in America or Canada or, or England, Switzerland, wherever, they, wherever somebody goes and they learn another year, and it's a year that's dedicated to Torah alone without without the other things that kids have to learn when they're in high school. There's no question that that's valuable anywhere. The addition to Eretz Yisrael is one which you said, the independence, Mm -hmm. but that they could get from going to a program somewhere else. I believe the full immersion experience of being in a dormitory, of being away from home, away from the malls, away from the... The, the everything just in, they don't have their car they don't have their their family and of course families are, are a wonderful thing a person being away from his family for a year and having to independently take care of their needs mm-hmm. while they are learning in a somewhat more intense program of Limudi Kodesh only that together with Eretz Yisrael is, a, is, is definitely the, the um, it's a win situation Okay, two statistical-based questions. One is, what percentage of girls do you th- that, that grew up in the U.S. are and, and went to a base Yaakov in, in, for high school, what percentage of them do you think are spending a year in Eretz Yisrael? Is it, is it a good majority of, of them? or It used to be a higher majority. Higher, okay. Uh, on one hand, it's, it seems to become a greater pressure uh-huh. because um, like any... Like any market, it's a it's 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 supply and demand, mm-hmm. um, and like and I hate to call it a market, but mm-hmm. but it is. We're service providers. Mm-hmm. Schools are service providers. Community schools are also service providers, and when you have a number of schools, then there are a number of schools providing services in slightly different variations according to the demands of the public. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that there is a uh, a very big demand for seminaries is because there's an explosion in our population. That doesn't mean that there's a higher percentage of kids that are going um, to Israel. In the out-of-town communities, the numbers have gone up. Mm-hmm. In the in-town communities, 
uh, I guess we have to all know that the new in town is Lakewood. You know, Brooklyn and, and Flatbush have become a, uh, you know, a, um, a suburb mm-hmm. of Lakewood. Um, and that's both socially and economically and uh, definitely culturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the new in town is Lakewood. But in Lakewood and Brooklyn and even Muncie, the numbers are going slightly down. In the out-of-town communities, the numbers are, have gone up a little bit. And, and for the numbers that are going down, does that mean those girls are not going to seminary or they have options within the states that... They're either not going to seminary, mm-hmm. they're going to work, to shidduchim, sometimes to college, mm-hmm. uh, and some to a very small, a too small um, number of American seminaries. Got it, got it. And when we talk about seminary, is it generally a one-year program, it's one and done, is that what it, the, the current reality is? And is that something that you would recommend? Obviously, you run and own a seminary, but do you see growth towards people going for a second year? Is that not taken off mainstream? So, like you said, I run and own a seminary, and my seminary is, I believe, the only, one of the only ones that uh-huh. actually has a dynamic second year, uh, meaning where girls cut 30 to 50 girls come back a year, and uh, the second year that is actually a seminary BA program, mm-hmm. where the girls come out with a BA, and the purpose of that is that the girls should not go to non-Jewish programs, and um, it's it's actually cheaper than the programs in America. So the second the second year is a very different is a very different system than the first year. The first year is across the boards. Second year there are a few. Seminaries that have a second year. Uh, Ramosha Shapiro Zetzal, who was, uh, I had uh, the very big schus that he was Makar of me for, I, I guess he had Rahmanis on Lost Soul, and he, 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 he took me close and held me close. He said that well, what once you could do in a year, now you need two years to do. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, not the, I'm not putting it out there that there should be two year seminaries, mm-hmm. uh, a second year seminary. I'm just saying it's getting harder and harder to accomplish what you need to accomplish in one year, Understood. Um, in two years. There's a uh, there's this vision that good girls don't need seminary. Seminary is for only for girls that need another year. That would be like saying, and and it's not exactly the same, but there's a similarity, like saying a good boy doesn't need to go to base medrash. Obviously, the mitzvah of Tamatar is different. The boy can go to his marriage for three years and five years and ten years and twenty years. I'm not, I'm not equating it. But there is a certain equation, and that is that we are not prepared for the outside world. High school does not prepare girls for the world after seminary. And seminary should, at least in my perspective, what seminary should be doing is preparing the girls for the next stages in life. And the reason I ask this historical beginning and some of the statistics is I'm, I'm a fam- I grew up in a family of boys. I'm very unexposed to the world of seminary. So I think not just for the audience, but it's interesting. I'm hearing things for the first time in what, uh, what a seminary is and what, what the goals are. So um, I think it's important both from an, uh, the foundation of this episode, but also, I mean, it's just good information for me. So um, given that we're a finance focused um, podcast. I, I, I want to just try to run through the 
numbers in terms of what it costs. And I guess the first question is all in, and I'm sure you, any question I ask you today, you've been um, asked multiple times. So just trying to condense a lot of information. Hopefully this is helpful um, to people, but it's, you know, the end of 2022, we're heading into 2023. When someone says, hey, I I just want to get a, a ballpark of how much money a a year in seminary would cost and I'm not asking about more specifically but ranges of some sort what what is the answer especially as those people who are younger in my stage my oldest is 12 you know to start saving and in in, in the non-jewish world you know saving for college is a is a pillar of of their framework what are the costs are the the overall cost and then we'll get into the specifics of it Oh, it, I, I would have to break it down because there are seminary costs and there are living costs. Okay. Meaning a girl who is not going to seminary and not going to work, but she wants to, uh, she wants to do something that's a learning experience, whatever that is. Okay. So let's say she'll be in the States. All right. We can't really speak about what the costs of seminary are, including spending money, because spending money, she spends money at home as well. We can't speak about uh, her cell phone usage because she has a cell phone at home as well. We can't speak about there. Are, there are many That's things right. that you can't really add into the the, uh, the the equation because there are there are living expenses. When a girl is at home, she's using the car. Uh, using the car is does that that often includes insurance because they're young drivers, and that includes an extra insurance, and it includes the gas, and it includes whatever it is they do and. And going out to eat, the girl in, in, who's in America goes out to eat more than a girl in Israel goes out to eat. The parents are more feel it more when the girl is away. But so I, I just I want to separate seminary costs and then the cost of living. Sure. And so so I think we can include the um, the tuition, a trip, and perhaps. Uh, in, you know, maybe the, the, there's a special insurance rate because there's not the, um, beyond that. I think that the, all the other costs are probably uh, similar or balanced out by. So you know, I, I know that people tell me, well, this and this, and they add on, mm-hmm. you know, their cell phone and they add on their uh, sh- sh- all kinds mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. things. I, I I'm not willing to respond to that part. I'm sure. willing to talk about tuition because that's what we take from the families, and mm-hmm. that's what we should be giving a um, something in return for. Um, the insurance goes directly to insurance companies. We uh, we get nothing, we get nothing out of that. Um, and the trip, obviously, the cost of a trip. That's uh, you know that's uh, that's definitely a cost of going to As a in, foreign country. Oh, okay. Of the study. cost of tickets. It's right, not the like cost a of ticket. school but trip. But when, when parents say and and parents have to come visit, that's another four thousand dollars. Right. Um, every seminary principal will tell you, don't come visit. It's not good for you. It's, it may be good for you. It's not good for your daughter. Distracts it breaks her for years. It mm-hmm. distracts her. She gets homesick all over again. Um, in my introductory, uh, I have an introductory discussion with the parents before, uh, before school this year. I said, you want to do your daughter a favor? Don't come visit her. It just creates extra expenses, extra pressures, extra social pressures. And again, it's become like... A necessity. It's absolutely not a necessity. Right. Parents want to come, 
your parents want to come, well, you can spend the money to do that. But yeah. that's not, that's not, I will not, not, we, not willing to consider that a seminary expense. Noted. That's spoiled children's expenses. When did that start? How many years ago would you say the uh, I would say that coming? up till five years ago, we had 10% of parents coming. Pre-COVID, it was already up to 20%. After COVID, it went up to 50 or 60% in the past, not 40%, 50%. It's crazy. Why, why do you think the uh, um, surge? Well, after not being able to come to Israel, more people wanted to come, uh -huh. so there was a surge. Um, I think kids were at home more, and maybe they feel, parents feel that they need to be closer to their kids more than, than before. And again, social pressures, peer pressure, like if, if this is a financial um, advice kind of situation, so then I think parents, one of, the, one of the very big things that we have to think about is keeping up with the Coenses mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, just this whole concept of peer pressure and I have to do something because other people are doing it and whatever. And if, if, if they went to visit, I have to go visit. And if they took five kids out to supper, I have to take five kids out to supper. Mm -hmm. I encourage my parents not to take anyone out for supper. If you want to invite kids for a Shabbos meal, you're in your apartment, that's fine. If you're staying in a hotel, do not invite other people. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible expense. It's an unnecessary expense. And then when somebody else's parents come, even on miles, or they haven't come to Eretz for 10 years, so they said they're going to go when their kids in Eretz and then they come and they feel, well, the pressure, well, these three parents took my daughter out, now I have to take. Mm. Now, it's, 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 there's an incredible amount of expenses in our lives that have to do with peer pressure and keeping up with other people's expectations. And I think that that has to be a very big part of this conversation because seminaries could be a part of that as well. Meaning, going to seminary has tremendous, tremendous value. And I believe that or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, when you dedicate your life to something, you do it because you believe it's, it's important. I'm not... I'm not a businessman that invested in a school and have some, has somebody running it. This is what I do 18 hours a day, mm -hmm. um, more or less, um, with a few other things interdispersed, but that's, that's what my, my life is about. So you dedicate your life to something that you believe is important, and I believe it's very important. At the same time, there are many things in our lives that are important, and we always have to prioritize. So let's go. We'll, I'm going to go back to your question now okay. about the numbers. Yeah. But please include uh, the tuition, the flight, mm -hmm. and insurance. Okay. So what would what what range are we talking? 2022, 2023 of. I believe that the range today is from 25 to 30 thousand dollars a year. 30 thousand um, dollars. Okay. I believe that some of that is higher than necessary. Mm -hmm. But again, it's a market driven. It, it, the market drives things. People who feel that they can do that can do it because there are people who are willing to pay. If people wouldn't, if people, why do people feel they need to go? Yeah, that's a separate question that we have to get to right. as to what is your real need? Why are you sending you to go to seminary? Okay. Are you sending you to go to seminary because she wants to go? Are you going to send you to seminary so you can tell the, the, your friends? Are you going to tell so you can put it on the resume? On her shidduch resume, right. you know, is it does it have value on the shidduch resume? What is the value of it on the shidduch resume? Are we talking about superficial things? Are we talking about real things? What is real? What is superficial? These are these are big questions that 
that need to be uh, addressed. Do you get a lot of these questions all the time or not in um, your day-to-day? I, I'm happy to say that I, I can't say everyone, but what I've heard from at least 20% of the parents in, in my school this year that they feel, and, and from previous years, that they feel that they got more than they paid for. Okay. So okay. I, I don't think that, I think that it's really a question of what your daughter is going to take, what, you, what the seminary is providing, what your daughter is going to take out of it, why she went to the seminary that she went to. Did she go because that's what's, you know, is that because it's in? They're the same way. It's to yeshivas as well. Don't, this is, it's not only a seminary issue. Mm-hmm. In America, there are schools that, that, yeshivas or schools that become an in place to go, camps. There's an in place to go. And when it's in, the camp could charge more because it's driven by supply and demand. Mm-hmm. We're, 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 we're dealing with, and again, when they say marketplace, it sounds horrible, but every single school is a market because they are service providers. Now, what makes your school a better school? That more people perceive it as a better place. Does that mean that it's better? Well, marketing tells us that you know, some people think that, that a cup of Coca-Cola actually costs more to produce than a cup of Maim Chaim Cola. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's, it's the same sugar, it's the same garbage, the same chemicals, right? But the market will make you believe that certain things are better. Are there better schools? And what, 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 what is a better school? Right. Is a better school school that has the highest marks? Is a better school the kids that are fromest? Is a better school the kids who are most compliant? Is a better school the families that are considered chashuv that sent to the school? What makes a school a better school? I was taught by my Rebbe, Rebbe, that a better school is a school that's better for your child. What are your child's needs? Who, who is your child? Who are you? Are you sending to a school that's because you want to be considered or you want your child to be considered part of something that you're not even part of? And then you're wondering why are they teaching her these things? This is not even in, in, in consonance with, with what we believe in. We're from, we're good, we're strong people. But the, you know, there's, there's a, there, there, there has to be some kind of vision when you right. send your child to school. Right, and, and we'll get into that because I, I, I think those are the non-tangibles that, that we refer to and, and doing the due diligence to making sure you're picking the right school. So tuition, 25 to 30K. Um, the flights, uh, is it 2 to 3K? No. It's less. It's yeah, 16. Okay. 16, 17, unless somebody wants to go premium economy and they want to... And, <laughs> and the medical insurance paid to the to the medical companies, it's, that's... It's about $600. $600. Okay, and, and then... That's the... I think that's the premium. I don't know exactly. It's anywhere from five to $600. Right. And then there's... Uh, is the... I, I think for per school, there's some sort of application fee. I'm just learning all about this now, but there's an application fee in the interview process like many schools have. What is that range generally? Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm not... I, I hear that it goes... As yeah, high yeah. as two hundred dollars. Okay. I, I don't know why we've right. charged a hundred dollars for the past uh, ten years. Uh, okay. Before that was seventy five. Um, I think that the purpose of the, in, the 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 
that fee, yeah. at least as I was told when I initially opened up Mar, we were under the auspices of Rabbi Schlein. Right. And uh, Rabbi Refsin, who's, a, who's definitely a, uh, uh, an extraordinary, uh, not only educator, but somebody who really added to the seminary movement by opening up a number of schools, some of which were, have, been, have been and still are highly successful, um, told me that that's to cover the costs of registration. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're flying, we're flying to America, which is uh, away from the family, mm-hmm. and for for long periods of time. And there are many expenses that are that are uh, included in that. And as I I I fly to the states, have to hit the ground running every day that I'm away is not good. I have a family, I have a school. Mm-hmm. It's um it's expensive. Understand. Why I I believe that some of the schools lifted it to two hundred to discourage kids from applying. Um, I don't think it works that Doesn't way. Work. It would have to be a lot higher than that. Too. Yeah, and, right. and I'm not suggesting that anyone do that. Right, right. The the, the point. Yeah. I, so so, and and I think you brought up a good point in that there are living expenses that, regardless of whether or not you're in Israel or you're in America or in England or wherever you are, such as your cell phone, um, regular health insurance, um, food. You know, maybe there's a you know your your shopping habits change because you're not, you know, but you're saying... Your shopping habits are, are seriously derailed. Right, right. <laughs> I'll give you that, and that that does make sense, and, and that probably brings down the number because, you know, when polling around, someone said, oh, it, you know, the number's more like 40K, but if you take out the trip that the parents, you're saying, don't have to take... Absolutely not. Um, the, the cost of, you know, the car and... The cell phone, the health insurance that you were going to pay. No, the health insurance I think is an extra cost. No, but like because even is health that on insurance, top of the regular health that's insurance? That's on top though? because most most families don't pay per child. You pay okay. your family health insurance, and there is a plan, and it's covered. Um, so the health insurance, I believe, is an extra expense. By the way, if people would read the information from the health insurance, so they would learn that. The health insurance are providers. They're they're really facilitators of insurance, and they could get their money back for they could. They don't pay for a lot of the services that they um, that they get in 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 um, in Israel. And if they would ask for a receipt for everything that they got, they can get very often their insurance provider would return that. And I think that more than fifty percent of parents. Could make back the entire amount that they paid for their insurance if they would just read the um, the fine print, not the fine print. The, the if they would read the brochure and realize what they could get back from uh, uh, from what's going on in, 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 in with that insurance. Got it. And the the twenty five to thirty k range is that, and this could be a very ignorant question. Is that on par with the boys' yeshivas? Is it dramatically higher? Is it a little bit higher? How, how it's on it par with the with the one or two year programs that have programming and that do more than just you know have rebbe for for okay. fifty boys and learn. So in the mirror yeshiva, you're not going to pay that. But if you're going to go to the boys' yeshivas that are one year or two year providers, mm-hmm. and they are doing other things as well. They're going on trips. They're taking the kids to places. They have a very high ratio, a staff-student uh, ratio. There it's going to be just about the same. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So it's it's the programming that's that's causing 
there to be an additional cost because your expenses go up dramatically when you have additional staff and, and it's the the two biggest the two biggest costs are rent or those who have buildings um, buying buildings mm-hmm. um, actually the building the building situation is, is relatively new it's when there are some businessmen that got, have gotten into the seminary world and they had the ability to to buy buildings uh, we for, I would love to have a building but we don't uh, uh, we don't have the finance to build right. buildings, so we're paying. We should run a fundraiser, uh, raise no, a no, campaign. I'm not, right I'm there. Sh- I, no, I'm, I, I'm not asking to raise money. I, on the contrary, I'm explaining that a good part of our expenses right. were between uh, our, the building that we're renting, the space that we rent, and the taxes on that building, and the upkeep of a, of a building of that size um, is closer to a million dollars a year than we're comfortable with mm-hmm. that's it's, it's an extraordinary expense so the building the rent and the and the and the salaries are the two greatest expenses for the programs that are um that are staff heavy that are that have large staffs we're going to return to our conversations on seminary. But first, I want to tell you about Kolel Chabad. You've heard me talk about them, and they are an organization near and dear to our heart. They're helping Israel's neediest, so people who cannot afford food, clothing, shelter. They're working together with the Israeli government, and they're making real progress because of people like you. Someone just donated a friend of mine $1,000 to this worthy cause, and that's awesome. And then you know what? I have another friend who donated $18. Both impactful, both go a long way. And then I have some people creating recurring donations. So if you go on there and you say, hey, I'm only able to afford $10 a month, guess what? That's 120 bucks a year and that adds up. So the same way when people invest money, they don't necessarily go in one long shot, but every paycheck they take a portion of it and put it towards their investment, towards a, a fund of some sort, towards savings. You can do the same with your charity and they have set up the ability to do recurring donations. So please, 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 if you enjoy what we do, the way you can support us is by supporting those who are nearest and dearest to our heart. Visit kolchabad.org slash kosher money and your dollars will probably be used in ways that could be most impactful. So thank you so much for supporting Kola Chabad. We cannot thank you enough. And now back to this week's episode. So, and this was something that a Beisak of principle had proposed because she feels, and I don't want to talk about yet, the, I want to talk about in the second half of this conversation, the pressures associated. I want to start with, with the finances here or focus on the finance component of this question where she wants to know if there's any way that the seminaries and maybe they are already in some ways, to work together to have some sort of central application system that will help lower the cost down. Is that, I don't want to give the answers, potential answers away, but that, I, I, that's the proposed... Uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thought. Um, as soon as you get all the Lakewood Besyakovs mm-hmm. to have a centralized system... For the high schools. You're for the high schools. Right? As soon as you get all the Brooklyn schools to have a centralized system, I'll arrange for the uh, Israeli schools to do the same. But the impetus to do it in Israel is, there's, is there's the, no the cost. There's no, there's no, there's no. You're saying it's the same cost that you have. I, I don't know the same cost because people don't have to travel right. to to to. to but that makes the need to, to do it in Eretz Israel all the but more. But each school still has to each school still has to interview 
for their school. So it's, it's, I go to right. 10 cities. Some mm-hmm. schools only, only do it in one city. My costs are higher than someone else's. Mm-hmm. There are other schools that may go to 20 cities. I, everyone has their own cheshben, and I'm, I can't really speak for any school except for my own. I can tell you that there are definitely costs uh, that are involved to get people together to um, uh, work as, a, as, as one unit in, 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 in the interview process, I think is, uh, it's, it's more than a dream. I don't think anyone would ever ask that question. You know, in Los Angeles, there are now two schools. Are we going to tell them to have a central application? Are we in, 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 in Chicago, there are three schools. Are we going to have a central application? Mm-hmm. In Detroit, there are two schools. Central application schools are, by nature, um, in, in some way, there's, they're competitive. It's the one place where competition is allowed to exist. Competition in, in, in business is not always the best thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's good for the consumer. It's not necessarily a good thing. And you're not allowed to open up a store across from somebody else's store. But you're allowed to open up a school across the street from another school. Because there is no co- The competition is irrelevant. What's good for the kids? And if schools are competing, they have to be better schools. So that's what we want. We want schools to become better. Uh, but they're competitive. And there's definitely, to, I'm, I, I'm not gonna, it's, it's not a dirty word. Right. Competition is not a dirty word. Competition is, if I want students to come to my school, then I have to create a program that will attract students. And in a, in a world, in, a, in the world that we're living in today, you cannot ignore any of the elements. There are schools that get more kids because they have a gorgeous dormitory. Now, who's going to go there? People who can afford and who that's important to them, right? You know, I, I, I write somewhat with, with humor on my, in the letter to my application that says that Ma'or, you may have heard that Ma'or uh, is situated in, in a former hotel. If this is your intention for coming, please don't send in the application. It's meant to say that for two reasons. One is because I don't want a girl coming because she thinks it's a nice, it's, it's a great uh, accommodations. And two, because <laughs> it wasn't such a nice hotel. <laughs> it's a decent dormitory, but it's not, don't, don't come for that reason. Don't, Is that I, in Harnoff, by the way? Uh, no, it's not in Harnoff. We're in Beta Karim. Beta In the former Malone Reich. How many stars was this hotel? Uh, two or three, I'm not okay. sure. And, okay. and it was quite... Uh, because if I was going to Yeshiva and it was a four to five star hotel, you've uh, piqued my interest. Right. So, but, but, so you're saying that in humor, but there are right. people who that actually makes a difference too. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the people who come to my school come because it was once a hotel, because right. by now they know that right. you know, it's, it's decent, it's clean, it's, it's well, we keep it up, but it's not, it is in no way, it, hasn't, gotcha. it, it never reached above the two, the two, store, two star or three star level. Um, <laughs> Maybe one. <laughs> Somewhere between one and two. I'm sure we'll get a comment. Someone will find some document showing that it is three stars at one point, but um, all in good nature. Um, so on that note, are, do the seminaries collaborate in any way, you know, and more particularly if there's a girl that may not have been accepted to one seminary, do they recommend a particular seminary that they may be a good fit for and share that application? Are, are, is there a collaboration between the seminaries? I, 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 believe, I, I believe there can be some collaboration. I've, I've definitely collaborated here and there with uh, schools when I thought that so, someone might do well somewhere else. Um, sometimes 
the parents are insulted that I made a different suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the school is, is insulted. Well, if you don't think she's good enough for you, why do you think she's good enough for me? Mm-hmm. Um, there are some schools that I have that relationship with that I can do that with, but I don't think in general. Uh, you know, I, again, does does one base Yaakov in Lakewood tell the girl, oh, I think this would be a better school for you, and that's accepted properly? That, I, I don't think that that's. I don't think that that's a. I don't think that that's an idea that works anywhere. I don't. I don't. I don't know. So I, I want to ask you know, about do, that. Do you know a camp that says, you know, a camp, a school, an elementary school? Right. If a child has special uh, special needs, you'll say, you know, there is a special needs school that will be behind your child. But if you say, well, my school is only for ninety eight, you know, for students with an A plus average, um, your your daughter's a B plus, so you have to send her to a weaker. A weaker school. Which parent won't be hurt by that? Mm-hmm. Which child won't be hurt by that? Um, Why do you think then the passion comes out on seminaries? Is it given the higher cost of programming, so then there's more spotlight on it? Because, you know, when I said, "Hey, I'm having an interview with the owner and and a principal of a seminary," some said, "Oh, it's gonna, it's, it's, it's there's a lot of passion in these. You know, people feel very passionate about it." What is it about the seminary? Is it solely the costs that are higher? And you've explained why. What you know? Why? Why are we not sitting here? And maybe that's on me. But why are people not as passionate about high schools the way they are about seminary? High schools have a very easy—I don't know—easy time. Every single high school raises money. Mm-hmm. They raise money for buildings. They raise money for expenses. They have dinners. They have building funds. They have a board of directors. Seminaries are initiatives of individuals who take on extraordinary expense, mm-hmm. extraordinary risk, and basically dedicate their lives to something they can't raise a penny for. Why not? Because nobody. People consider seminary to be something extra. It's not something you have to do. I can. There are people so who call will it, help. Call it thirteenth grade. You know. I, like. First of all, it's not thirteenth grade, and I don't want to call it thirteenth grade. First of all, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be mandatory. Okay. It shouldn't be mandatory, and I don't want the seminary to experience to be a thirteenth grade. The seminary experience should be something that's very, very different than high school. The seminary experience has to be a. A, a life-altering experience. You're coming to Eretz Yisrael for a year to learn. I mean, the, the educators and I, you know. It, it can't be positioned in a way that I'm just, you know, you're, you're speaking about the the difficulties in, in, in people recognizing why it's important to have a fundraiser. That that Do you think at some point people in your, in your, in your thoughts they'll become open to this idea that that it's a, it's a core piece of their upbringing or i believe the people who went to seminary and it was a core piece of their upbringing might might feel that way um, but i don't think that somebody who either went to seminary and it was not core, a core piece of their upbringing or somebody who didn't go to seminary could possibly understand um, that number 1 number 2 Yeshivas can raise money even when they're one, second, third, and fourth year programs. Right. Everybody understands Limitara 
there's a open. It's harder to raise money for a girls' school than a boys' school everywhere. Everybody knows that, and most certainly for a program that's not considered by everybody is absolutely necessary. High school is necessary. At least that's what's considered in American society, even from society. Every kid has to get a high school diploma. And since every kid has to get a high school diploma, this is um, a mandatory education. So a community has to support its school. And if there are two schools, then there are going to be people in the community that have kids that have to go there and so on, and they'll be able to support their schools. When I try to, to raise money, um, because I know there's a kid that needs help financial aid in getting it. So on rare occasions, I'll find somebody who will help to, to give them a scholarship. But I can't run money for the school. I could raise money for that child who I know needs the help because they have an extenuating circumstance and, there are, and sometimes I've been successful. I, I'm not even comfortable asking people um, for the COVID year, which we knew was going to have extraordinary expenses. Mm -hmm. We had a double staff and programming, infinite amount of programming with girls that were in the whole time. It was, it was, a, it was an extraordinary year. And I knew we were going to have a deficit. We raised money. We did a fundraiser. Mm -hmm. The fundraiser was for my students, my alumni. I did not approach anyone that was not an alumnus mm -hmm. or a parent of alumnus. There were other people who may have chipped in when they heard it was a, we did a whole, I don't know what they're called, a, um, you know, uh, we didn't have a matching, but we did it on online with the whole uh, fundraiser. Everybody, yeah, it was a fundraiser. We raised what was necessary, and and it helped cover the year. And those core believers um, gave, but but they were they were our students, right? They were those who got something from seminary that that they're carrying with them for the rest of their lives, mm -hmm. and that's why they wanted to help other kids have that that year. But in general, I can't raise money. Are there any financial assistance opportunities for absolutely um, and and what are they for families let me just finish that thought for for families that cannot afford uh the full the full 25 to 30k for the year so first of all many seminaries mm -hmm. give breaks give breaks okay there are some seminaries that give very very large breaks and everyone according to their cost depending on their registration and depending on what, what they're spending. And every, you know, discount stores find a way to sell things for, for less. When you look at it and you say, yep, yeah, it costs so much more in the other store, how come? Well, sometimes it's because someone's making more money and sometimes it's because the discount stores know how to buy it at a discount. Sometimes it has to do with volume. Everybody has their own cheshbon and I can't go into anyone's budget. But every, every seminary, like every school, has a business aspect to it. And schools that have extraordinary high demand can get away with giving less discounts. Schools that, you know, that have a supply, uh, supply and demand that's reasonable can, every, but almost everybody gives discounts. Even those very, very high in demand schools sometimes give discounts that are hidden discounts, meaning they'll work out that certain kids get in because they want to have those kids. It's a marketing, call it a marketing gesture, okay? Or everyone has the way that they bring their students. Um, so there's definitely, there are discounts available in schools, number one. Number two, there are, um, there are programs that if girls want to get credits, and most, I think that 80% of the girls that come to seminaries 
are getting credits for mm-hmm. the year, which by the way, if you would just take just that cost in America, get 32 to 40 credits, 32 to 36 credits, what would it cost in any program in America to get 32 to 36 credits? It's going to cost most of what seminary costs. Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, besides the fact that, that we are also a dormitory and, and, and providing 24-hour staff and 24-hour programming and so on and so on and so forth, everyone does what they can. And, uh, there, and so there are definitely programs that give, uh, and there, you can get through the college programs. Uh, there's Toro, there's ITT, and there are, there are, other, there are at, least, at least four or five different ways Perhaps if what I realized how detailed this interview would have been, I could have okay. uh, done more homework to come more well prepared. But this is not something that's hard to find. Okay. As a matter of fact, I know that my school we, we give out we send something out to our students, and I promised the high schools that we were going to write it up. And once before the girls get their acceptance letters, they will get from all the schools. All every high school will have um, from us. Uh, some kind of paper that gives them ideas as how they can get breaks. Noted. Um, there, there, are fam- there are families that I suppose maybe even don't know this, but even with knowing it, it, it they feel that it's a lot of money and, and, you know, sometimes debt comes into play. And I heard this story where this, this father couldn't afford it and he had five girls and he ended up having to put it on his credit card. And, you know, there's this natural friction that happens between spouses and, and the children and and the children with their principles as they go through this, you know, application process and money obviously it's a it's a reality. It plays a role into that. Is there is there an answer to 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 fix something like that where you know if someone can't afford it, it it's just, you know, the the right decision and, and you have to get the entire family on board. There's a lot. There's a lot of emotion and 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 possibly debt, you know, in all of this. How do how do you square all of that? Um, I don't think I can square it. I think that this is a a question that every family has to ask themselves regarding every expense in their life in their lives. Um, they're going to have to ask this question about making weddings. They're going to have to ask this question about uh, schooling. They're going to have to ask this question um, about buying a house and a car. Um, this is a priority question and the things that we are, that are important in our lives we find ways to do things that are not important to our lives we usually give up on we have to decide what is the value of seminary if we, believe, if we don't believe that seminary has the value that, um, that they cost then we should not send our kids to school I don't think that we should do things that we can't afford to do in every, again, the letter that I write that comes with the application fee, I say, if your parents can't, can't afford this, don't do it to your parents. Mm-hmm. Don't put your parents under unnecessary duress. And if you feel it is important to you, well, I have kids, I have a girl now in school who's mm-hmm. paying her own tuition. She's babysitting since ninth grade. She uses, in her summers, she doesn't go to camp to have fun. She goes to work. And she's paying a good part of her tuition by herself. Um, there are girls that, uh, that there are families that take loans because they, I, I, I would hope it's because they believe it's important. I would hope they're not taking loans 
to keep up with the Jones, Cones. I would hope that. But again, people do many things. I can't take responsibility for decisions parents make. I charge for seminary what's, what's necessary to be able to run the school from year to year. Okay? I can tell you this year, I will be in the red because of a number of things that happened. This year, I'm not going to finish this year with a balanced budget. Okay? I have nowhere to raise that money from, and I'm not asking anyone for, for, to have Rahmanas on me. I have a job. I, I support my family. I'm very happy. I love what I do. I'm not asking for Rahmanas. I'm just saying that budget-wise, there are years that you have a little bit of a buffer, and there are years that you don't. Mm-hmm. This year, because of certain educational decisions that we made in terms of the number of students and so on, without wanting to change and, and, and fire people and, and, and make serious cuts, whatever, for this year, it's, it's going to be a harder year. Nobody, nobody's taking responsibility for that. I'm not asking anyone to take responsibility for me. I charge what I need to charge to be able to run the school from year to year to year to year, knowing that there are some years that are better, there are some years that are worse. Um, what parents do to make a decision to go into debt or not to go into debt, no one can get be angry at me or my or my constituent seminary principals because they're going into debt. That's your decision. And if you know that you cannot afford this, either plan the way you same way you plan for other things, or make a decision and make a bold decision. You can't just say, well, I have to do it. Because what? Because we made seminary such a valuable addition to life that girls feel they need to go and they want to get something out of it. Um, are we to be blamed that something was created that that has value? Or maybe it doesn't have value. Maybe it's just perceived value and you don't believe in it and you don't think it's good and you don't want to do it. Then don't do it. Be a parent and make a decision. And I think that parents that can't afford should not send. My, my administrative auction have nothing to do with the money. I don't get involved in the, in the tuition. I don't get involved in the collection of the money. If I, if I did that, I would have been broke after the first year. Baruch Hashem, we have a, I have a good, uh, good person that runs the finances. We, we joke. I, he, he has to, I spend the money. He has to make it work. You know? <laughs> I make a decision that, you know, to take 20 less girls. Now he has to somehow make the budget work. It's not, uh, it's not always fun. But he, he, has to, he has to figure out. And we, I mean, we, we figure out the budget together. But he has to figure out how to make it work. And then when, once he knows what's coming in, he... You know, and he's told people in the in the process in 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 May and June. Listen, you didn't you didn't make the payment. You, it looks like you really can't afford this. Please either go to a school that has that the charges less or that will give you a bigger break, or or maybe you shouldn't send your daughter. Mm-hmm. And 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 people say no 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 I have to and I and I have to and it's too important. And he says I understand that it's important, but I've heard this dialogue. Where I, I, hear, I know that you think it's important, but you can't afford it. And if you can't afford it, you have to find, find a way. And finding a way means either finding a way to, to, to finance it or finding a way to say no. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I refuse to blame the seminaries for people making decisions 
that they can't afford. That's like blaming cars for charging money for, for buying them. Like, why don't they give them... No, you can either get a secondhand car or you can decide that you're going to go by train. Mm -hmm. And you make that decision based on your finances. So, you know, it's the same thing when it comes to, 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 to a seminary. A short break from this week's episode. We're sitting with Shmuel Shiawitz yet again of approved funding. Awesome people. I get emails from my mortgage company. And it's not like I'm late on payments, nothing like that. But they tell me they have a special offer for me that I can take out $100,000 of home equity. I delete it. I don't need the money at the moment, thank God. I don't even know if that's a good deal. They say it's a special offer, but I have a hunch they send it to more than just me. What, what does that even mean? And when is it a good time to take out money from your home? So it's a good question. Something that's very on point in today's market because the average U.S. homeowner is sitting on more equity than ever in history, almost $200,000 worth of equity to the average homeowner. So the question is, do I do something? Should I do something if I don't need to? I'm not looking to do work. I, I don't need the money. Um, they're offering me. Every bank will offer you home equity lines of credit um, because it's a way for them to cross-sell more products. And a lot of people either don't use it which the banks want you to use it. Ultimately, the bank wants you to use this home equity because the interest rate is very high and it's adjusted every single month potentially. So every time you're reading in the paper that the Federal Reserve is raising rates, that's literally, they're not in charge of home equity rates, but when they change the Fed funds rate, the home equity rates are 3% higher than that. So that will go up automatically by three quarters of a percent if they raise it by that, by that amount. So banks like home equity loans because they're not locked into a rate. They're not giving you a 3% rate that's locked up for 30 years. They're much more open to the market, which is a tremendous risk to the average homeowner who is going to borrow. Let's say you needed $100,000 and you're budgeting for that $100,000. I'm making up a number, $800, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden as has happened now four times in a row where the Federal Reserve has raised rates, all of a sudden that payment skyrocketed because of all these Fed rates. So if somebody was budgeting, they will be completely thrown off guard. Or what also happens, people take the line of credit because it's free or as long as you don't pay it back over three years and then there's no charge for it, whatever gimmick or little teaser that the banks use to get you this line of credit. Then, God forbid something happens and you you say, oh, oh yeah, I have this line of credit. Why not dip into that for an emergency situation? Or why not dip into it while I'm waiting for my paycheck or my bonus or this purchase or, or um, this trip or whatever it may be? Once somebody dips into that and sees how easy it is to write out a check and to make the minimum payment, that sucks them into the path of debt. And for some people, they know how to manage it and it's a great tool, like a credit card. Mm -hmm. There's no points on a home equity, but you can use it. As long as you pay it back in 30 days, then you just pay interest and, and you're done. So you have to be mindful and cognizant of what you might do with the money if you need it. If somebody's investing in something and they know, let's say they're guaranteed, I'm not talking about speculation, 
But if they're putting money into something and they know they're going to get a return and they calculate, well, this is the rate and I can pay it off in X amount of time, great. If I'm doing renovations and you say, well, I need X amount of money, this is going to be my, my um, cushion in case, sure, it has a lot of very practical, beneficial applications. But as with, any, as with anything, it's a case-by-case, case, it's specific to your circumstances. Um, and even if in your case, you say, look, I, I don't need it, I don't want it, I don't want to be tempted by it, it might not be a bad idea for some people because if they're concerned that home prices will drop, never will the bank offer the same amount of leverage as they are yeah. today. So it's a great opportunity to get a line of credit and God forbid, or in case of a benefit, in case there's somebody needs to do work or somebody wants to buy another house and they're going to sell and they, they don't have to worry about bridge financing, mm -hmm. it's a great opportunity to have for future as long as somebody is fiscally responsible. Very interesting. A lot here that I did not know. If you want to learn more about home equity, the world of mortgages, refinancing, money, finance, loans, look up approvedfunding.com slash mortgages. So many people are reaching out to him. Even if it doesn't lead to a new client for him, that's not the goal. He's looking to help people. So look them up and uh, we want to know success stories. So if you did speak to Shmuel, let us know how it went. Great people. We're going to put his website in the show notes, approvedfunding.com slash mortgages. And now back to this week's episode. You talk about Tulim and and trips and things of that nature in there. Is that, do you see that being a core part of the seminary that that helps give, you know, get the girls out and, and that's an important piece, even though there's a real cost that comes along with that? There's no question that there's an additional cost in the, in the extra program. When a girl goes home at night from school, there's respite. Mm. She goes home at night, she doesn't have school on Sunday, she goes early on Friday, she's not home for Shabbos. She's, she's not in school. So there's a break every day, every day. When a girl's in a dormitory situation, she, and, and often somewhat of an intense school situation. There's their demands and their expectations. So it's, it's the full immersion. One, she's in Eretz Yisrael. You can't be in Eretz Yisrael and not experience Eretz Yisrael. Two, the breaks are absolutely necessary. But necessary, especially in our generation, where girls... During the, they have breaks, they have free time, and they always have what to do during their free time. Sometimes what they do is better, sometimes what they're doing is worse. The seminary, the full, the full immersion experience means very often no access to anything besides what's going on in school. So there's the, the need to get out and the need to experience our soul is extraordinary. Having... We, for instance, in my school, every Shabbos is an in Shabbos, meaning no one ever has to go away for Shabbos. You're no answering all my questions. Say, I, okay, no, no, no. I, I, yeah. This is not in every school. I'm just giving you. I'm right. going to give you an example. Every Shabbos, any girl that wants to stay in for any Shabbos, any yuntif can stay. We we provide from the first day to the last day food every day of the week, including okay. uh, every Yom Kippur and including Pesach. So they don't have okay. to go be begging for A girl for never meals. has to go. 
Do you right. think girls don't want to go? Mm-hmm. They want to experience their soul. They want to see how other families live. They want to have the experience of, of seeing people living in another culture in a different in a different world with sometimes a different value system. Even a girl who comes from a, 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 a family of B'nai Torah in, in America, it's not the same when they go to a family of B'nai Torah in but that B'nai Torah family and is struggling. You know. and again, I will. I I have told all of my students, right. and I tell everybody, and I'll say it from this uh, from from this uh, to this audience. Right. If you cannot afford to have guests, don't have guests. Don't, I I can't take responsibility for people making irresponsible decisions. Mm-hmm. I, I do not suggest to girls that they go, and I tell them if it's a young couple, you shouldn't be going because give the young couple their life. Right. I, but it's my sister, it's my first cousin, and they're inviting me, and they want me to come. Don't be a burden, and don't be an intruder. Young couples should have their time together. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, today, many young couples want to have guests. And that's, again, it's a cultural thing. I can't fight it. I try. I speak to my students about how it's, it's inappropriate. But we do not control every single situation. If it's her sister, I'm not, I can't control that. She has parents, she has a sister. Yes, we, we give direction, we, we suggest, we share our opinion as to what, you know, what we think is, is, is the right thing to do and what's not. And we, and we give every girl the option of being in school every week. And there are weeks where we have 50, 60 girls, three weeks, four weeks in a row, and we have an in Shabbos every, 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 every few weeks. Anyways, an in Shabbos, and then every couple of months there's an out Shabbos, which means we go somewhere. It's, the girls still need to get out. Mm-hmm. They need to get out. They can't be in a dormitory all day long. They can't get in their car and go for a ride. They can't go on Sunday to visit uh, somewhere. They can't get the Hanukkah vacation, go to Florida or to, or to, to Baltimore or mm-hmm. to their sister in, in Detroit. Or, yeah, they are here, and they're here for the duration, and that make, gives them a need to get out. So we have to provide that. Obviously, if you're doing a trip, you want to do it good. You want to do a trip right. Mm-hmm. We don't go to five-star hotels. We don't spend extraordinary amounts of money it's very expensive to make a trip like to make trips but it has to be decent it has to be comfortable it has to be it's not as comfortable as where they, where many families go for Pesach obviously mm-hmm. and we don't no one provides what the what what the American society provides when you go for a hotel mm-hmm. the but we go to a place that, that that's clean that has you know that that changes and washes sure, the bed sure. sheets and, and provides a... So to finish the thought on Shabbosim, would you like to see this trend of creating Shabbos and seminary grow to other seminaries? Because there's a, you know, a, a, a great experience when the girls are together on a Shabbos or the fact that they don't have to go looking for meals and... It, it, it creates uh, less of a stress on, on the other families. I, I think it's, then correct me if I'm wrong, it's somewhat unique to your institution mm-hmm. in that you're open on Shabbos, or maybe all, all seminaries are open on Shabbos, but just it, it's not the in thing to do, to stay. Um, I, I, don't, I, I know there are other schools that, some, that provide a similar service on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that that's the issue. The, many, the high schools requested from the, from the seminaries a number of years ago 
that they provide more Shabbos experience in the school. And I know that most schools have tried are trying to do that. Meaning, they um, some schools break up into three into a third, and the third has to stay in every Shabbos. Mm. In which case, anyone that doesn't want to go also has a place to stay because there are already girls staying in. So there's definitely there's definitely a movement in the schools amongst the Beisiako schools. Um, I have to say there is a difference between the Beisiako schools and some of the other schools in terms of what they provide. Um, most Beisiako schools provide three meals a day. It's not the case with some of the other schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Shabbos, the schools are trying to, to, to accommodate. But again, the, the girls also have a say in mm-hmm. this. Right. And... and you know, there are times where 80 girls decide they want to stay for shops, and then there are times where there's only 10. Um, I don't know. Some schools have a functional kitchen with somebody that can actually take care of them, no matter what. Some schools have a live-in name bias. We have a live-in name bias, and we have a full, fully staffed kitchen. So for us, it's easier to make that provision. There are schools that are being having catered meals, and they don't have live-in staff. They have come-in staff. So for them to make a Shabbos may be harder for them, may be different. I, I'm not making any judgments here about what, other, what schools do. I do know that there is a movement to improve and help have more Shabbos things. In terms of Yomim Tovim and then Pesach, there, there's, a very, there's a vast range of what schools do. Yeah, and I want, I want to talk about Yom Tif because the $1,600 for flights... When it comes to Pesach, they, they need a, another flight there and back, so then that cost doubles. What What is current? Most people are leaving for Pesach, I would imagine, right? What is the What is the answer there? Would you like to see, are you happy with, with how it, it currently is? Would you like to see girls staying for Pesach? Is that not, not ideal? It's a, it's a family time. If you if you ask me, you ask if I'm supposed to be a spokesman for all seminaries, I can't be. Um, I think this is a very individual a individual question. Personally, I believe that um, I encourage girls to stay for Pesach. I tell parents that I encourage. And the, it would and be a lot cheaper school if they didn't. Would they stay in the school? They stay the in the school. We provide full meals the entire Pesach. Mm-hmm. Um, we make a second seder in in school. Mm. We usually have most of our girls stay. It's not true. We have a majority of girls that stay. I know a few other schools that also have a majority of schools that stay. A majority. There are schools that close down over Pesach. Right. Maybe they don't have the staff. Maybe they don't have the infrastructure. Like I said, my school was once a hotel. Mm -hmm. So we actually have a whole set of of pots and and everything that we could, we can make Pesach. Um, We have have a full-time... Uh, chef, so we have somebody who can do that. I don't know that every school has that that the infrastructure to be able to do that. We 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 do that because we can, and I do believe that it's better for girls to stay. And when girls ask me why is it better to stay, I tell them what my Rebbe Revolba told us, Rebbe Akiva. We know he came home after twelve years with twelve thousand students, and he stood outside and he heard the neighbor saying to his wife, "You know what's going on? What's going on?" And she says, I wish he would, if, if, I, if I could let him know that he should stay for another 12 years, I would tell him to stay for another 12 years. It says, Rabbi Kiva turned around and went back for another 12 years. And Revolva said, so why didn't he go in and say, hello, Rafael, how are you? You know, are you having, is everything okay? I'll, 
I understand that you'd be happy if I go back next week. I'll go back. Why, why didn't he have a plan? And Ravoba said, and, and the Mashkiach said, in the name of the Bali Muslim, Bali Machshava, that 12 and 12 does not, equal 20, does not equal 24. There's this something about the, the continuity and the consistency and, the, and the, not, the unbroken experience that we, fe- we feel. And again, everybody has their own opinions. I feel that it's a there's added benefit in having the girls stay. Mm-hmm. It's cheaper to have them go home. It's better for the girls mm-hmm. to have them stay, in my opinion. There are parents who say, I cannot have my daughter not at home for Pesach. Mm-hmm. I can't force a parent to do that. Mm-hmm. So I can't make it mandatory. So then a school has to make the judgment. How many kids are going to really stay? Mm-hmm. If, they're only gonna ha- if they're only going to have 12 kids staying, can they afford to set up a program for 12 kids? How are you going to take care of 12 kids? How are you going to take care of 15 kids? Right? Because we have a large group, we have programming through the entire Ben Azmanin. It's expensive, but we have programming almost every day. A school that doesn't have a large percentage that's going to stay, programming is, is very difficult. So they basically close the doors and, and the kids are, are, are not in a good place. If they're not in a good place, they should go home. So that's why I think maybe some schools feel they should go home because they, they know their student body or their parent body. And if they know that their parent body, gonna, most of them are going to take their kids home or the vast majority are going to take their kids home, then I, maybe that's why they don't make programming for a short or small amount. Again, I'm not speaking for them. I'm just saying I don't think there's any malicious intent. I don't think that it's it's just a financial decision that it's cheaper for us if the kids go home. I think there's a, there's a lot of educational chesbainus, um, a lot of educational calculation as to what's going to be, what is going to be the added value of a small group of kids who sort of feel left out. Everybody else got to go home, and we can't just because our parents can't afford it. Right. Well, if you know you're sending your child to a school that that's one of their demands, then you are adding another $1,600 to the cheshbon. Mm-hmm. Put it into your financial calculations. When you're saving money either from years before or when you are making a cheshbon of how you're going to pay this expense, you have to know there's an additional expense. For those that return after Pesach, how, how many weeks of uh, Depending on the program and depending on the year. There right. are years where it's five weeks. There are years that it's seven or eight weeks. Depends on when Pesach Which makes all the more of a reason to stay. All because, more, which is... Right. Exactly. Okay. Got it. So so for those that can't afford it, they make the conscious and responsible decision and, and the girl stays in an American seminary. What can we do as a cloud to sort of destigmatize the girl who is not going with the majority of the crowd. Is there something we can do to take off some of that spotlight or, or you know, to build up the American seminary for those that, that it's not a terrible option by no means for someone who simply isn't a right fit for an Eretz Yisrael seminary, can't afford it for whatever reason, because that, that stigma is real and if there is a solution or if there's a, a positive direction to go into, what would it be? And I, I understand this is not your you're, role to you're either asking, destigmatize. No, I, I don't mind trying to answer the question. I, I want, just want you to understand that you're talking about a, 
how do you change a cultural uh, trend? Mm-hmm. And and there is no there is no simple answer, and there's no you know quaint. Oh well, <laughs> I, I don't I don't have any right. any any magical solutions. Um, you think there's something the high schools can be doing as as part of that? Is it part of improving the application process to to, to advise them and and maybe that that's partly going on already that American schools I, are not. I, I believe that there are some schools there was one school in, in, in Brooklyn years ago the principal called me up and said you know this girl we think that I said Rabbi so and so you understand that the fact that you're calling me means I'm not going to take the girl he said what do you mean Rabbi Greenwald you know I, I knew your father and I know you for many years I know you don't believe that girls should go to seminary. You don't believe they should go. So if you're sending her to me, it means that this girl has a very, very, very big package. Because otherwise you would say she should, she should definitely you know, stay in America. Because you believe everyone should stay in America. You're looking, so you're talking about an extreme situation. So I, you know, I said it somewhat in jest, but that, that there are schools that... that that encourage the girls to stay in America. Um, not many. I think that now, because of the financial strain, there are more schools that are suggesting, and there are a couple of schools that open, and I believe there are two more schools opening this year. I, I hope that's true. Um, destigmatization, uh, changing the value system, these are, these are very, very big questions. I think that as more schools will open up, and as more people will make the decision, I can't afford it, and therefore I'm not going to do it. Well, when that comes about, then there will be more people doing it, and the stigma will go down. But it's not something that I, as a seminary principal, there's nothing I can do to destigmatize. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can do is speak to my students, which I do now, that when they're going to be in their preparation for life, when we speak about finances, I tell them about living within your means and making sure that you don't take on expenses that you can't afford and that you figure out ways to manage your money. And I understand that this is this uh, interview is part of a, a movement of, uh, of, of an extraordinary organization that's trying to help people make their make ends meet and, and make financial good financial decisions. This is like every other big decision that's a, that, or decision that has to do with a big financial expense has to be made responsibly. And I don't think it's a question of us stigmatizing or destigmatizing. It's, it's a social dynamic that will change as it changes. The same way that it became a necessity because more and more people did it. And then it became a peer pressure and a social pressure and, and a shidduch pressure and all the other things that people will call it. You know, if you don't feel that this is giving your daughter something that's that's going to make her into a better wife, then 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 who are you fooling fooling by putting it on her mm-hmm. on her on her uh, on her application? A leading mechaneches in Lakewood recently spoke to a visiting Beis Yaakov class and told them that the most important decision they'll ever make in their life is where they go to the sem- is where they go to seminary and the reason i want to know if you agree with that statement is because if it is the most important decision in their life then perhaps families have to take more seriously from a younger age to save for that if it's not then 
possibly those funds would be put into a separate account for a chasana, for their post-wedding uh, um, material needs or, or, or whatever it is. So do you agree with that statement? And if so, why or why not? I believe that it could be true. It could be true. And I, I would hope that it's true. But it's not always true. Mm-hmm. Um, if girls were actually to go to the schools that were best for them, and they would know how on what basis they're making their decisions, if that Lakewood Seminary principal actually went to all the schools and could direct them, right, and would direct then maybe that would be a more meaningful statement. But I know that there are schools where 75% of the class will apply to one or two schools, which means that those two schools would be filled up with uh, after two or three girls school. It's, it's not even possible. So who's, ho- who's dashing the hopes? Where is, where is the high school? Where's the presence of that, of that high school principal? when something like that is happening in the school. And it's more likely to happen in, in the Lakewood schools, because again, that's the, in town, that's where the peer pressure is, that's where everyone's looking at everybody else, that's where you have to keep up with, and that's where you have to be in, you know, we, you, we, we all know what's happening, not only in Lakewood, Lakewood, it happened in Brooklyn and Muncie, that there were 200 kids left without high without schools in the beginning of the year, because everyone wants to get into certain schools, and. And then there's not enough space, and then other schools, and then there, but they're only second tier, and my kids are, as if 90% of our students are, are first tier, and, and as if a high school should even be built on first tier and second tier. Why in the world would a high school, taking 14-year-old girls, be based on marks? Where, where, where did that come from? Are we, again, higher education driven? That we're creating high schools where kids can't get into high schools. 14-year-old kids, they're, they're, they're elementary schools kids can't get into. Five-year-olds, they're interviewing five-year-olds. They want them to be Sarashnir when by the time they graduate eighth grade. There's something, there's something superficial, deep, deeply superficial. Meaning it's it's so it's so sad that we're 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 allowing our society to fall into the trap of this evaluation of students based on one or two parameters, when there are so many more parameters of 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 of, of a human of a basisrol and of humanity and and and, you, and and exceptions are like oh no that that would close down my school. That's it's not the way it is. It's not the way it works, and we're afraid of our shadows. We're afraid of mayomru, mayagidu, what are people going to think, what are people going to say. And again, when we're making decisions based on those things, then we're going to make bad decisions. And then we're not making the most important decision of our child's life. We're making a superficial decision based on superficial reasons. And then, no, it's not, it's not going to be the most important. And I hope and I believe that that principal, whoever she was, meant it in the way that you should really know what you want and what you're looking for, and you should make sure that you, your goals will be achieved in the school that you're going to. And, um, and if so, it could be true.
We'll be right back to this week's episode on seminary. But first, I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, Infinity Land Services. They have a massive campaign going on right now. So you know the title company you need for your real estate transactions. If you are looking for drama, do not use Infinity Land Services. If you want excuses, do not use Infinity Land Services. If you want a story after story after story, do not use Infinity Land Services. They are not for you. If you want a title without the story, visit ilstitle.com. Infinity Land Services. I spoke to Mark there. He's a fantastic individual, very knowledgeable, has been doing this for years and years. He is your guy and he has the team for you. ILSTitle.com, InfinityLandServices.com. If you're listening to this on an audio platform, he even has a custom commercial on the YouTube page, so you can check it out there during the seminary episode. We can't thank them enough for sponsoring Kosher Money, and we do a lot of due diligence before we um, team up with a sponsor, and they met the criteria. So tell Infinity Land Services, your friends at Kosher Money sent you, and now back to this week's incredible episode. We're nearing the end, and I thank you for your time. There's a lot of insights, and I mean, we only just touched on some of the questions, and I know you're in from Eretz Yisrael for a grandson's bris, Mazel Tov, and we, we understand that your time is precious here. Um, so... I want to end off with closing remarks. I want, I, want, I want to hear your thoughts, not necessarily a synopsis of this conversation, but hopefully tens of thousands of people listen to this over the course of the next five, 10 years. And what would your message be that is relevant to families that are just newlyweds, they have kids that are five, 10 years away from seminary, grandparents listening to this, what message would you like to give them that maybe we didn't touch on in this particular episode as it relates to seminary, yeshiva, um, prepping Klal Yisrael for, for, or, or telling Klal Yisrael that we're missing something or something we're doing right that we need to be doing more of, Whatever that 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 parting message is, um, I, I want to try to give you an unscripted question so that whatever message you feel is important that they hear, you share it. Because of the nature of this meeting and the and the purpose of it, I'm not going to speak about seminary. I'm going to speak about financial responsibility, and I think that you know. Our community is probably the most expensive community to live in for, for the, just for basic things. We pay more tuition than anyone else in the world. We pay for our food more than other people. We pay for clothes more than other people. Um, living a, a Torah life is, is beyond rewarding and beyond meaningful and, and, and purposeful. And everything that we are spending to do what Hashem wants in this world is obviously well worth it. At the same time, we are all, we have to be responsible and we have to be financially responsible. And um, I don't want to say it's a dirty word to plan ahead because we have bitachon, but there, are, there, is, there is definitely somebody who knows that, that they're trying to live within their means and at the same time knows that they have big expenses coming up 
has to be responsible to plan ahead. And that's not a problem of bitachon. The problem of bitachon is when I just want to amass funds so that just in case. But if I know that I have to make, do something, I have to plan how I'm going to do it. And if I want to make a bar mitzvah, I have to think about, do I really have to make a bar mitzvah that's of course so much money? If I'm going to make a bas mitzvah, which has become something in our community, am I going, am I going to do it within my means? Am I going to make a bris and a vart? Am I going to do it within my means? There are many, many big expenses that are part of our lives. And we have to be financially responsible, which means that we have to live within those means and we have to figure out how we're going to manage the larger expenses as they come. And if seminary is a large expense, as is all higher education, and yes, seminary is a part of higher education, because like I said before, they're going to be getting credits if they want it, um, then I have to figure out how to make it work. I believe it's a value. Then think about it in advance. If you don't think it's value, don't do it. Very, and the same with everything. You know, if you can't afford to make a very, very big bar mitzvah, then figure out a creative way to make something smaller, but to make it special for your son. And the same with every other thing. We all know that the chasanas are off the charts, and they were for years. They were, they were the gedolim called out and shrieked devout. And finally, in some communities, they made there are there are weddings there are weddings that are called whatever they're called. Um, some people are embarrassed when I'm going to make a wedding in that hall, which is a chesed hall. I don't need the chesed. Sometimes we do, and when we do, we should admitting that I that I need to do something for less money is not a busha. It's it's admitting this is my stance. I, I'm going to make a, a just an insight. There was we, there was once a Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin sat in a half circle, and they sat from Kotan ad Gadol, which meaning the smallest member of Sanhedrin sat on one side of the guard of Chatzit guard on the half in the, and then the next one, the next one, the next one to the Rosh Sanhedrin who sat at the end. Who placed them? Nobody. Every person knew his place. That's a godless. That's a godless. Sanhedrin doesn't exist today. We know that. I don't, you know, the, the amount of chishbanis that go in when seating people at different events is, is, is extraordinary. But there has to be some level of self-acceptance. This is my place. This is what I can afford. This is what I can do. Somebody else has more money. They can afford a big house. They can buy one. I can't. I'm not allowed to buy one. I'm not allowed to buy a car that I can't afford. I'm not allowed to buy a house that I can't afford. I'm not allowed to make a wedding that I can't afford. I'm not allowed to send my kid to a school I can't afford. So I have to make all financial decisions with shum seichel, with good, in, 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 um, with investigation and appreciation of all the different sides. There, are, there is money to be received Sometimes we need to ask, sometimes we ask our family for help to do something that's important to us. Sometimes we don't. Everybody makes their cheshbon. But it's a cheshbon that has to be made. And it can't be something that someone just says, well, it's, you know, I don't want to do this, but I have no choice. I have to.
Well, thank you so much for your time and we appreciate your insights. If someone who's listening did want to reach out to you via email is... No. No. Okay. We always ask, but... Uh, I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm just being honest. Be, I, I would flooded. assume... I assume there are people that would have a lot to say. There are people who disagree with a lot of what I said Um, from all fronts. My friends in seminaries, high school (laughs) principals, parents. I I take responsibility for what I said, but I do not see myself responding to to every every person's uh, questions. You know, I'd be happy if another seminary principal would would get up and, and answer the same questions differently. Um, I invited at the last, there was a meeting between the, the, of the high schools um, about seminaries a year or two ago, and, some, and there was a whole discussion about, and I said, listen, I'm throwing out a towel. Anyway, if any one of you feel that you can open up a seminary and run it and do well for less money, do it. And if you're successful, so it's a market. You know what's going to happen? Right. Either will all. If you can make a seminary with no tulip, were fewer to you. Mm-hmm. And you can make a seminary with different accommodations. And you can make a different seminary that gives food all year round, but less tasty or less or cheaper. And you can find teachers that you can pay less money and you can find a building for less money. So do it and do well. And then we're all going to be stuck. You know what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. You're going to have a thousand students and we won't have students because you can do it for half the money. So either we'll all have to take down and stop giving the services because there's a competitor out there that's causing us all to reevaluate whether or not we should have less TULIM. But, but, but you can't expect anyone to do that. You do it. Prove your point. Be successful. So I heard that there's somebody who, who said that he's picking up the towel and he's going to be opening up a seminary for 300 girls, $14,000 a year. Mm-hmm. I, I am hoping, I'm hoping, I'm davening that he should be successful and that he should open up a good school and the 300 girls should come away with, with real kinyana, but something mm-hmm. of, of value and that he'll, uh, that, that he'll be able to do that financially and he'll find a building for 300 kids because there are no buildings available in, in Yerushalayim. But if he, anything he can do, we'll, we'll all bench him. I, I give the full bracha and I'm willing to help him I'm willing to sit down with anyone, as I did with many seminaries, to open house, open up the budget, open up how it works, what you can do, how you can save money, how you can't. You know, if someone has a good idea, we're all open to it. Love it. Thank you so much. Okay, Mrs. Haven, thank you for joining us. The costs of seminary can range from 25K to well over 30K. And I want your insights what are you seeing affecting slash impacting families okay thanks so much ellie um so first of all i'm the director of a benosi school in baltimore it is a nursery through 12th grade we have two classes per grade so it's we have around 585 girls baruch hashem and uh, many years of graduates our school is 22 years old so we have graduated many classes our girls have gone off baruch hashem to many beautiful seminaries and we're very, very proud of who they have become. I also am a teacher and I also have five daughters. So I think I can come you know, to the seminary discussion with a, a lot of perspective. And then I could put on my other hat as a school director of someone who meets with parents and helps parents navigate um, how to afford 
being a from family nowadays and how to afford sending all of their children to the schools that are right for them uh, without choking. And honestly, I think we can all be very honest that other than the one or two percent that Baruch Hashem, this is no problem at all. For the rest of our families, this is a tremendous, tremendous burden. And it's turning into something that's, that's it's not sustainable. Um, and I have parents who come, they're crying, they're sad, their girls are sad. We need to change the dialogue here so that we can allow people to do what works for their family without feeling bad and allow their daughters to feel great about who they are without feeling like if they don't get to do everything that other people are doing, then they're not okay and they're not going to be okay. And that has to start way before 12th grade seminary applications. Whose responsibility would you say, or let's phrase that as, what can we do to make tangible change, right? What can we do to ensure that our daughters are not coming into the principal's office and crying as a result of some friction, whether financial, familial? Okay, so there's there's so many parts to this answer, and it's so personable to raising families nowadays. So I'll, I'll speak to my experience specifically. Um, educating your children about money cannot start when they're in 12th grade and they want to go to seminary. Um, Zevi Wallman and you, you've spoken about this in many different ways. We need to start educating our children much younger to make them understand that there are needs and there are wants. And then there are opportunities to make money, to put away money, and to really help ourselves get to what we want even when sometimes our needs and our wants um, might be different than what we think we need. For example, um, seminary is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I love Eretz Yisrael. I love the idea of seminary. For very few people, it is a need, meaning they have a very complicated home situation. They must get away from their house. They need to be in a different environment. Um, Seminary in Eretz Yisrael, what I'm saying. For most people, it's a want. This is what everybody's doing. This is what I want to do. I don't want to be different. I don't want my friends to have an opportunity that I don't have. And it's too late in 12th grade to start to sit our children down and say to them, I'm so sorry, but it's not going to work for us because it will be very hard for them to understand. So the education piece has to come way before the seminary discussion. At the same time, we need to be able to say to our daughters or our sons, You know, it's possible that at the end of 12th grade, you're going to want to go off to another country and it costs a lot of money. So let's talk about what's the parent's responsibility, if possible. And then let's talk about what is your responsibility. You think you're old enough to go. You think you're old enough to gain from this. So let's talk about the few things that should be your responsibility. And you're going to know three or four years in advance that you have to come up with some serious savings to make this happen. And this helps the child be invested in the process. So I'll just tell you personally with my children, um, for sure the girls. So there were four or five things that they were responsible for. And my husband and I dealt with the tuition. What were those things? So number one, they had to raise the money by working to pay for their plane ticket. They had to pay for the phone because the seminaries required a specific phone or a phone plan. They had to pay for all their spending money and they had to pay for the insurance that is mandatory to get if you go to a seminary in another country. So as a result, they had to come up with some significant money, and they couldn't think about it in 12th grade. They were working from 8th grade and 9th grade and 10th grade, 
summer jobs, babysitting jobs. And when it came time to make a decision of whether or not seminary was possible, it was with the understanding that once we got them there on the tuition end, the rest was going to be on them. And Baruch Hashem, I have four daughters who went to seminary, and that's how it was. Um, they spent their hard-earned money on those pieces that we felt were their responsibility. And not only did it enable them to take seminary more seriously, but it also enabled them to understand that the money that they spent needed to be something that they were careful about. Because if it ran out, it ran out. We weren't mean. We weren't obnoxious. We didn't withhold the opportunity, but we also didn't give them a credit card. We said, this is your responsibility. This is your account. This is how you do it. And um, I do think that they were able to see a lot of different pieces in that that were important, differentiating between the needs and the wants, understanding what it means to, to save money after you actually earn it, understanding what it means to spend wisely. All these different pieces, um, they needed to happen. They needed to come together in order for them to have a successful year. So I guess I can measure the, the success of that piece from none of my children calling to say I ran out of money, what am I supposed to do? Because they knew that that wasn't an option. But even so, what would the discussion have looked like if beyond them being able to pay for that, I physically, personally cannot afford the tuition? That would call for another, what I call the difficult discussions. And to me, there's such an irony here that we're telling our daughters, we're gonna prepare you for marriage and we're gonna get ready to help you go on to the next step of life and yet we're not having the conversations about what's involved in doing that, including financial responsibility, making decisions that are sometimes painful, having difficult discussions, understanding the difference between needs and wants. But like I said, all these discussions have to begin way back when. You know, it's like the parents who come to the Rav and say, what should we do? Our child is, and they said, you should have, you should have come 18 years ago. You know, you really have to start the discussions way back when so the children don't feel like they're different and feel like you're treating them unfairly and feel like, but everyone gets to and they don't. Because the reality is that many parents cannot afford it. And and I'm just speaking, you know, from my perspective, but I know that there are so many parents who are struggling. And it's just a cycle that repeats itself because then they come back and they need to still go to school because they want to get a degree so they could earn a living. And then we start talking about chasanas. So where is this endless supply of money supposed to come from for your average family who Baruch Hashem has other children to worry about as well? So do you see seminary as a core chinuch requirement? Is, and I guess we could look at seminary in Israel the same as we can look at seminary in the U.S., right? Right. Assuming that the costs, which I think they are, if someone stays in the U.S. for seminary, the costs are dramatically cheaper. That said, do you encourage girls to go to seminary after 12th grade? And if they cannot afford an Israel experience, do you see seminary in the U.S. as being a critical year for them as it relates to their chinuch? So the critical pieces that I think are helpful for any girl um, to go off on their own, to learn how to be independent, to make decisions. Um, I think those are very important. I think getting college credits out of it is paramount, and that's another expense on the parents. And if you could do that in a way that enables you to be in a seminary environment, I think kalakavod, that is wonderful, that is excellent. 
Do I think that all the learning that takes place in seminary is necessary to build our daughters into the people that we want them to become? Not only do I have a problem with some of it, I think some of it gives a very mixed message. We need to send you off somewhere at a $40,000 expense to learn that we want you to learn how to do with less so you could continue your life being someone who could support a husband and work very hard and not have a lot of money maybe. It's a very confusing reality. I've seen parents send their children off with open credit cards, with endless budgets, with endless opportunity. You don't like the school food, go eat it somewhere else. Those are parenting decisions. People can decide that on their own. I'm not here to judge them. But don't then expect your child to turn around and be prepared for a complicated life where that might not be their reality. And possibly they will not have been given the tools to be the person to handle that. And let's not tie all of our problems together, but an unprecedented number of quick divorces. How much of that is coming from not being prepared to do with less, not being prepared to have the grit to deal with situations that are not perfect, not being prepared to have the credit card to solve all of the problems. I'm not saying I know the answers. It's not my place. It's not my expertise. But there's got to be a connection between not preparing our children for being grown-ups and not preparing our children for being grown-ups. So if everything is handed to them and they don't have the difficult discussions, what do we expect? There's a purported truism within the community that going to Eretz Yisrael for seminary is critical when it comes to finding a shidduch. Is that your experience? Is it necessary for girls to go to seminary in order to get a shidduch? Or that's that's just a fantasy? That's not real? Um, okay, so Baruch Hashem, like I said, I have five daughters. Four of them went to seminary. Um, very wonderful seminaries. They enjoyed their year their extra camp year for some of them. Um, My fifth daughter decided that she did not want to go to seminary. She was quite honest with us. And she said, I had trouble sitting for four years. I cannot sit for a fifth. And she actually took the year off and went to work and subsequently went back to school. But from daughters three, four, and five, who were all a year apart, she actually got married first. And I think the message about Shidduchim is that Hashem runs the world and Hashem runs the Shidduch world and it's not going to be a question that matters to me when my sons go out to get married because I have, I have far more important questions that I want to know. And those questions have to do with building great Olive Plus people, not building Olive Plus grades. And that's a very important piece for me as an educator and for me as a parent. I always quote Rabbi Zachariah Waller's things at Sal. He said, if you have a problem with a girl's grades and she's trying her best, Go to the Kotel and give Hashem the report card. Hashem made her born into this family with this brain, with these challenges. What we're trying to do, as far as I'm concerned, for Klal Yisrael and as a parent and as a mother and as a wife and as a sister is build wonderful people. I I never want us to get caught up if she's not an Olive Plus student, she's not an Olive Plus person. It's not true. And it is all those other qualities the non-academic pieces, the grit, and the ability to lizrome, to flow, the ability to handle challenges, those are not the academic pieces. Those are the pieces that if we give our children those tools, they're going to be able to handle 
the difficult things that come their way. And everybody has difficult things. So if we take this time to say, let's build people, let's build them when they're going to high school and let's build them wherever their year is after high school and let's build them through the dating process, then we're going to end up with strong children who have the ability to cope. And I always told my daughters when they went out, I said, it's nice to be smart, but at 2.30 in the morning when the baby is screaming and you are finished, how much did the brains matter? How much did the Rambam matter? How much did the learning matter? You know what matters? People being a mensch and people being there for each other and people helping each other out and people having the ability to cope. Those are things that are not based on grades. So I, I don't even understand this whole concept of we only want Olive Plus students. I want Olive Plus girls. And as far as I'm concerned, you can be a Bayes and a Gimel student and be an Olive Plus person. And those are the people that I want my child to marry and I want my child to be friends with because those are the people that have built themselves up. And in spite of their circumstances, they're not going to be judged by their Olives. They're going to be judged by who they are as a person. And to me, that is far more important than their seminary transcript. I like that. Speaking about seminary transcripts and applications and the entire process, we've received a number of questions from parents and teachers regarding the application process and the challenges it poses to its applicants, the cost associated with it. And there are those that would say, what are what are the high schools doing as it relates to the application process? You know, it's, I don't know necessarily that it's a seminary specific issue. Um, I mean, girls aside, you have the same thing with the boys, right? There's um, application fees and, and things of that nature. Do you see a, a possible solution? Do you see that there are relatively easy or hard improvements we can make to this process? Okay, so I'm, I'm just going to speak for the girls for, for now because I think the boys, they come with a lot of different qualifications that I'm not going to go into right now. I will speak for the girls. I've been thinking this for many years. I, I even read Rabbi Greenwald, who runs a beautiful seminary, spoke about this as well. Um, and this can be done in many different ways. But let's learn a little bit from the secular world how when somebody wants to apply for medical school, they do not need to fill out 87 applications. And they do not need to go through the headache of, did I do this right? Did I do that right? I don't see why in a girl's seminary setting, we cannot have a universal application that takes into account the things that are important and makes one application with a system that those applications are only sent to the schools that are no gaya because um, they've been told that they could apply there or whatever. In Benosisral in Baltimore, there is a tuition reduction application that is shared amongst five or six schools. Parents have to fill it out once, they check off which school it goes to, and there you go. I'm even thinking that if every application, every school agreed to take $10 off of every application, $10, and we pull that money, we build the infrastructure for an application process that not only is much easier on the parents um, and much more universal, but it also does away with what I think are some very unimportant and maybe even embarrassing questions. For example, um, let's talk about a, a general two applications that I've seen two questions that I've seen that I think are just off base. Um, which yeshivas do your brothers go to? Really? Really? I mean, what does that say about the girl? 
aren't we judging the girl on her merit on who she is? Um, another question that bothers me a lot. Please rate your level of Yiras Shamayim. I don't even understand that question. I'm an adult. I don't even know how I would rate my level of Yiras Shamayim. There are so many factors here. Why can't we have a universal basic application? The one-on-one -on -one interviews are when, when the principal has a chance to see what he or she is looking for, which should be a conversation. And have a universal tuition reduction application so parents do not have to be embarrassed and go through again and again. And let me show you this and let me show you that. And you know what? Maybe in a city like Baltimore, you need two cars. And maybe in a city like New York, two cars are, who knows? Who cares? We really need to move away from a lot of judgment. And we need to move towards understanding that parents are trying to do the right things for their kids. And for some parents, it's nearly impossible. So on top of making it impossible, we're making it difficult and we're making it hurtful and we're making it a problem. Do we want them to lie? Do we want them to lie? If my children have a brother who is not in yeshiva right now, should we skip him from the application? Should we lie about him on the application? Should we not answer the question? Why are we creating an environment where we have to feel worried that our answers are not going to be good enough. I want to go back to building people. Let the girls be honest on their application. Let the parents be honest. And let's build schools where our goal is we should graduate girls who want to love their Yiddishkeit, love themselves, and give back to Klal Yisrael. How much do your grades matter at that point? Am I saying it should be a joke? Absolutely not. Am I saying there should be no academics? Absolutely not. I'm saying give us a balance. Our, our girls have so many challenges, challenges that I never had and for sure our parents never had. So let's give them the infrastructure to help them grow as people. Let's give them the classes that help them develop their sense of self, their sense of worth, their knowledge of halacha, their knowledge of how to run a Jewish house. These are important to me. I, I never, ever remember caring about how much a girl was able to learn. You've certainly given us a lot to think about. And I would say sometimes our audience has ideas. And then when a guest shares ideas, they have ideas on top of those ideas. I would imagine people are going to reach out to you as a result of our brief conversation here. And I think it's important to have these conversations so that if there is improvement that we can make, let's make it. And I think it starts with conversation. So I really appreciate you taking the time, Mrs. Heyman. It, it absolutely starts with conversations, but it's also the willingness to be vulnerable, to allow yourself to be honest, to teach your children, even if you can't afford it, you have three choices and they're all okay. And if the second choice is $10,000 cheaper and as a parent you make that decision, that's okay. And, and let's also build into this the infrastructure that every girl gets in somewhere. Why on earth are we looking to hurt our children? Our children are good kids. They're working hard to do the right thing. We want to say to them, no one accepted you? I don't think that's what a Baruch Hu wants. Well said. Thank you I again. just want to reiterate, yes. these are my thoughts, my thoughts alone. Whoever knows me knows I have no problem giving my opinion. I, I daven Tashem every day. I thank him every day for the tremendous opportunity to raise children nowadays. And it's not easy. And I would, I would, I would encourage people who struggle with this to turn to, to mentors, to turn to their rabbanim, to turn to people 
who could be mashpia them. It's okay if you can't do something for your children to sit with them and to talk to them about it and to make them understand you are there for them 100%, even though it's not exactly the way they want. That's okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to our first episode of 2023. This was our 40th episode. 10, 10, 10, 10. 40 episodes. That's mind-blowing. We're just getting warmed up. And I have some big news. We're having our first Kosher Money event, hopefully early this year. In the five towns, we're going to try to hit up different communities, different topics. We're excited about that. We think a lot of people are going to enjoy it. The Kosher Money event. Our thanks to everyone at Living Smarter Jewish. If you need assistance with your finances, please head over to livingsmarterjewish.org. Our friends there, Zevi Wallman, who helps produce this podcast, will give you all the answers you're seeking, or at least try to. Um, He'll connect you with the people you're seeking. Um, Totally recommended. livingsmarterjewish.org. If you want more on this episode, we have bonus content. Visit mishpacha.com, buy a magazine, purchase a subscription to Mishpacha. You'll see bonus content with Rabbi Greenwald, questions we did not cover that will be included. You'll also be able to see bonus videos on mishpacha.com. Really excited about that collaboration and what we're building out with our friends at Mishpacha. Thank you to our sponsors, Approved Funding. If you need a mortgage, approvedfunding.com slash mortgages. Kolel Chabad, the largest, or I should say the longest lasting organization in Israel, helping Israel's neediest. Kolelchabad.org slash kosher money. Whatever funds you have, Miser, extra money, a dollar a day, all this adds up. So many of you have been giving and we cannot thank you enough. Our friends at Infinity Land Services, our newest sponsor, our baby sponsor, but they're growing and they are a big company. They're a force to reckon with. So if you're looking for a title without the story, visit ilstitle.com. Our friends at Infinity Land Services are there to help you with all your questions. They have the answers. Tell them your friends at Kosher Money. So many friends. Tell them your friends at Kosher Money sent you. If you have guest suggestions, head over to livinglachaim.com. My brother Yaakov works day and night on that on that website. He has other podcasts there. Inspiration for the Nation. That's an issue. He has a new episode, new series with Dr. Zimmerman. It's called Podcast Therapy, where you can call up and he'll give you his thoughts. It's not medical advice. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Um, check that out as well. He has an episode. Uh, he has, a, I always say episode, but it's a podcast, but there's so many episodes. He does a series with Charlene Amanoff, the Jewish influencer who is a real person and she's awesome. It's called Not That Not Your Typical Podcast because it's atypical, which is not the best name because if it would be called a, a, a typical podcast, now you know why it's called Not Your Typical Podcast. Okay. That is just scratching the surface. If you're listening to this in 2025 and you're like, Yaakov Langer, doesn't he have like 15 podcasts? Yes, he does. But that's, that's you know, I'm recording this in early 2023. So um, we can't thank you enough. We love your guest suggestions. Head over to livingthechaim.com. 
consume more video there. There's always bonus content on the website. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, head over to YouTube, subscribe there, follow. You can watch these videos. There's more videos. um, And we have a lot in store. That is my outro. You are you. I am me. Remember to keep your money kosher. And I am out. See you next time. Living L'chaim. Yaakov, do it. Living L'chaim. No, it's going to happen. Wait, wait for it. Surely play it now. And the intro now. Living L'chaim.